Hello and welcome to episode 63 of the Arena Regulars podcast. I'm Zach. And I'm Jeff. And we're your source for weekly drunken Magic the Gathering Arena content. Yep, basically we're just regular dudes drinking some irregular beers and talking about Magic the Gathering, in particular things that relate to the online client MTG Arena. Yes, and it's a pregame party, buddy. Yeah, got a shotgun, some beers, and... I don't know, do a keg stand. <laughs> I guess maybe that's the, actual, that's the actual party. At a pregame, you just usually get way too drunk and pass out on the couch. That's what... Uh, that's what <laughs> Especially if you're doing keg stands, maybe that's what you're, you're <laughs> <Yeah>. doing <laughs> it wrong, man. <laughs> that is, that's the... Uh, <laughs> my pregames, I go way too hard. Uh, anyway, <laughs> this is our pregame party for the uh, Neon Dynasty Kamigawa set coming out in a couple days, actually. So I'm getting quite excited. Oof. Can't yeah, wait to too. talk about it. Yeah, we're, we're, we're recording on Tuesday, so on Thursday, when you're listening to this, it'll be out. Yeah, it will. Um, but first, each week we both bring a beer, we drink Jeff's, then drink mine, rate them on a scale of bronze to mythic, and choose the best for last. So with that, Jeff, what is on tap? All right, so I'm going to have to explain why I chose this one. It's pretty complicated, but uh, <laughs> it's called Neon Haze. All right. Hmm. So this is a hazy IPA from Amsterdam Brewing. Can is purple with neon lights on it. And it's 5.7% alcohol. And I picked it, get this, because the set is called Neon Dynasty. And this is called Neon Haze. You see, they share the word neon. They share a theme. Mm, Interesting. I wouldn't have thought that just from you explaining it. I know. And now after I explain it, it's like, oh, so obvious. Obviously. Yeah, I can see even on this can, there's the the soft glow treatment is is, uh, present. Yeah. Yeah, they must have worked together with Watsi to get this can made. Yeah, Uh, yeah, of course. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Anyway. Um, before we get into things, we have some magic news. Uh, a few weeks ago, actually, we didn't talk about it last week, but there was the first rebalancing for alchemy, and in standard, we got three cards banned. We got them banned. We did it. Good job, everyone. Yeah. <laughs> Dedicated content producers like us. Yeah, so basically, Auron's Epiphany, um, Divide by Zero, and Faceless Haven are banned in standard, and a butt-ton of cards got rebalanced in alchemy. Um, though we're not going to talk too much about it, because... There's a new set coming out in two days, so yeah, it doesn't really matter to, to us at this point. See, I, I think of it backwards. Like, I it's hard for me to evaluate Neon Dynasty because it's not coming into a metagame because the metagame was just, like, erased a couple of weeks ago. That's true. Where we're still trying to figure out what the top decks are, and it's like now... We're going to get all these new cards, and we're like, what decks are we supposed to be playing? Yeah, Right. Normally, it's like, oh, what does this fit into the blue-red Epiphany deck? Maybe maybe yes, maybe no. Now it's like, well, that deck doesn't exist, so... Yeah, so it's it's a different deck now, and uh, yeah. The, yeah, everything's going to be different, so... Um, I think it's cool. Maybe some of the like tribal components or synergy components will ha- actually have a shot at cracking the metagame now, because yeah. it's kind of a blank slate. Classic Jeff trying to get some tribal components into tier one decks. <laughs> Ninjas, baby. <laughs> Every set. Um, it's yeah. the tribal deck's going to be. <laughs> one, one of these days I'll be right. <laughs> one of these days. Actually, except when Rogues came out, I didn't call, I didn't call that one. So. That's true. I was like, nah, tribal sucks. <laughs> <laughs> you were excited about Rogues, but you didn't think it was um, yeah. the best. But anyway. But you know what else? 
other than me being wrong about tribal synergies. <laughs> Bolts my bird, Zach. <laughs> when people read cards too quickly, um, I don't know if you know anyone like this. I have, but, no, uh, I don't know anybody who does that. Yeah, <laughs> Zach is like that. <laughs> so uh, don't be like Zach. Uh, all of these cards are new, and sometimes it doesn't matter how many times you read it before you actually play with it. You probably, there will be some cards you don't know how they work. So while you're playing and you've spent valuable gems and gold on some Kamigawa Neon Dynasty events, make sure you read all your cards at sorcery speed, as Zach likes to say. Yeah, um, don't make the... <laughs> the thing I did last set with the blood fountain where it asks you to return two creatures from your graveyard and I thought it was just one and specifically picked just one creature. Um, just read your cards. The thing that always gets me is what happens at instant speed and what happens at sorcery speed because mm -hmm. I'll read a card and my brain will just assume, oh, you can only do that at sorcery speed. And then I'll realize after playing six games that, nope, could have done that anytime it was an instant <laughs> should have should have just done that different time just doesn't say that i don't know why i thought it did <laughs> <laughs> always 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 um all right let's get into things i want to talk about some new cards because we've been talking about a lot of kamigawa in the last month or so but we have not been talking about new cards so i'm excited yeah um uh the set if you don't know and i don't know how you wouldn't but hey who knows is Kamigawa Neon Dynasty. We're coming into Kamigawa 1,200 years in the future uh, from the last time we were there, which was about 18 years ago. And if you have any questions or you're interested in any of that past lore or those cards, listen to all the other episodes we did this month because we talked about them, and I'm not going to talk about them right now. I feel like we're learning how many, uh, like, one real-time year is how many magic years, you know, like the dog years thing. Okay, so it was 18 years ago, real life, 1200 years in the game just you know do a quick division and figure out how many years uh, yeah pass in kamigawa <laughs> yeah in kamigawa years <laughs> i like that <laughs> all right jeff you figure out what that is um <laughs> while we talk about some of the new mechanics that we're going to be seeing in neon dynasty i before we get started i just want to say i'm pretty excited about everything about this entire set this honestly seems like a set that was designed for you <laughs> it really does um because everything's like oh my god i love doing that i'm so glad they put a word for that or they made a new word for that or or this is uh, it's all about modifying creatures as yeah see, you know enhancing them with auras or artifacts and whatnot yes uh, they even like normally you don't you know gravitate towards planeswalkers that much they even made one that's basically a combat trick which they, of course you love so. they made the planeswalker it's a in the color i like doing things i like <laughs> so yeah they're like how do we get the zach guy to <laughs> buy into the planeswalker carcadet yeah <laughs> oh man anyway all right let's get into it so the first mechanic that we were um, kind of alluding to earlier but it's reconfigure so uh Basically, reconfigure is when it, it's a card on an artifact, and all the reconfigure cards are artifact creatures that are also artifact equipments. Uh, so one of the examples we have for today is Rabbit Battery, which is a uh, single red for a 1-1 artifact creature equipment rabbit, uh, and it has haste. However, it also says equipped creature gets plus one plus one and has haste. 
Huh, interesting. That would make sense if equipments do that, but uh, we haven't seen that on creatures really. So now it has this ability that, that says uh, reconfigure for a single red, and basically it just attaches to a creature you control or unattaches from that creature, and you can do it at sorcery speed. And if it's equipped, equipped, equipped to something, then it is no longer a creature. Right. Now, this is a little trickier than it looks, uh, and I think it's actually a really powerful mechanic. But for example, I can attach rabbit battery to my creature, I can attack my opponent, and then I can unattach it and have rabbit battery back as an unblocked or untapped blocker. Because the when you attack with a creature, the equipment attached to it doesn't tap. Mm -hmm. um, so I think the ability to unattach is really strong. Yeah. Uh, especially when it makes it into a creature. Um, and I, di I didn't see this in the little video they put. They didn't really talk about this, but it was a question I had the whole time. I assume it, it works in the, the way you think it does. But like if this is equipped to something and that thing dies, I assume this becomes a creature. I also assume that. So Does that feel like the other way doesn't make any sense if it's just an unattached equipment? Yeah, I don't think so. And you would have to spend an extra red to make it a creature again. I don't think that's true. Um, right. It will just kind of fall off, similar to Bestow from the first time we went to Theros, where it will kind of like fall off and become a creature. Um, that's what I was thinking, yeah. Because it says, while attached, this isn't a creature. So mm -hmm. obviously, if the thing dies, it's not attached. Yeah. And the fact that you can actually unattach an equipment is big because you can't do that normally. Commander players will know anyone who has like a... Um, uh, not like any equipment that has shroud on it and you don't have any other creature to put the shroud equipment on and you can't target your commander or something, you'll know that it's really frustrating and you want to unattach your equipment, but uh, you couldn't. Well, now you can, though we don't have anything like that in this set. Um, I am happy that they made the Energizer Bunny. That's cool. With this little rabbit yeah. battery. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, I guess that's the, the joke, right? Yeah. Um, also, I'm pretty sure this card is insane. This card is... Uh, really cool because yeah what do you want your like one one haster for turn one to turn into later just making your other creatures better yeah you know i if there's like a red aggro deck mm -hmm. this will be in it four for sure four <laughs> yeah right this this will be your starting point for red aggro decks just four of these exactly which uh you know i'm actually i was looking at some of these uh most predominantly this this uh ability is in red um so I was looking at some of these and they were like, ooh, maybe I should be playing some red because these are getting me really excited. <laughs> and I like when they make one drops that are good, not just because they're like, oh, it's a three power one drop with haste. Or mm -hmm. Like, obviously that's going to be good. But I like when it's not just all about their stats that makes them yeah. good. Yeah, which is also good to note. Uh, reconfigure uh, most of the time gives the, like, the stats of the creature that it normally is and the keyword it has. However, that's not always the case. So make sure you are checking which ones uh, do what. Because uh, yeah. with this one and some other ones, it does go like, oh, okay, this is whatever. The the one with, with haste or it's like a 3-2 with whatever, um, with trample. And it'll do the same thing for your, your equipped creature. Um, a lot of them also don't do that, which is another one of our examples, uh, which is a... Uh, not a MacGuffin, but it's a pretty important part of our uh, story. <laughs> Jeff, do you want to do you want to read the this next card? Sure. Yeah. So if you ha don't know what this is, you better go back and listen to last week's uh, episode. This is the Reality Chip. 
So it's one in a blue for a legendary artifact creature equipment jellyfish. You may look at the top card of your library at any time. As long as the reality chip is attached to a creature, you may play lands and cast spells from the top of your library. Reconfigure for two and a blue, and it's an 0-4. So this thing comes down, it's an early blocker. Later, if you have something to attach it to, you get this like card advantage-y thing. It's kind of a really interesting design, actually. Yeah, I like this one uh, quite a bit just because it's uh, an equipment type of thing that we don't see equipment do very often. Um, this usually right. just seems kind of like a utility artifact that sits there and taps and does different things. But I like the idea of um, this type of card advantage needing creatures to be able to to make it work. So it's not just like slam it in your control deck because then you have an 0-4 blocker that turns into a card advantage engine. It's like mm -hmm. you need another creature. Exactly. Um, it is a bit of a flavor fail because uh, it can't attach to Planeswalkers, which is the only thing it does in the story. <laughs> yeah, but that's that's clearly because they didn't want it to go into just every control deck. Yes, yeah. exactly what we were just talking about. But Protect uh, the Planeswalker for a turn and then turn it into a, an unstoppable, <laughs> you know, like, card advantage engine. Yeah, but, um, you know... But as you mentioned, it does not give plus O plus four to mm -hmm. the equipped creature. Very cool stuff. Um, excited to see what else we can do with this mechanic. Uh, because it seems pretty versatile and it won't really stay just in this set. Though it is very flavorful for the set in itself. So um, I could see Definitely. this doing more. Uh, very excited for it. Yeah, this feels like something that'll show up again in the future. Obviously, we have to play with it. Uh, maybe it just plays really poorly, but it looks like it plays pretty well. Good mm -hmm. limited mechanic, good constructed mechanic type of thing. Exactly. Up next, a new mechanic is Modified. So uh, modified is basically a new word that they've added. If you remember back in Dominaria when they added uh, what, historic or whatever, mm -hmm. um, it was just like a grouping word. Modified is like that. So modified means any creature that is equipped aura uh, has an aura on it or has a plus one or any counter, I guess. Usually it's going to be a plus one plus one counter, but it could be any. And that creature was just be called modified. So as an example, uh, of a theme, a card that's based on that theme. We have Invigorating Hot Spring. One red green for an enchantment. It enters the battlefield with four plus one plus one counters on it. It says modified creatures you control have haste and you can remove a counter from it to put that counter on a creature you control as a sorcery once per turn. So I think this is supposed to be kind of like the Fires of the Apamaya type deal. Yeah. Um, like modern incarnation of that. Um, but yeah, it cares about modified creatures, and it tells you modified is, has counters, uh, auras, or equipment, and obviously it modifies the creatures itself. Um, I really like this uh, this grouping, as you were saying. I think that's a really good way mm -hmm. of putting it, and I hadn't thought about that until you just brought it up, that it's similar to historic. Uh, uh, right, yeah, historic spells. Um but finally being able to say like, yes, these things are modified instead of saying something that's enchanted or equipped or whatever. We just have one solid word. Really like that. Um, important distinction with this is that it is auras that you control on your creatures. So um, you don't have to right. worry about putting pacifisms on your opponent's creatures and then them becoming modified or, or vice versa. Don't count pacifisms from your opponent on your creature as being modified because that doesn't count. I think I'm going to have a lot of fun with this. It obviously is already the thing I like doing, though, again, this is kind of like a green-red mechanic. 
um, as we see with this gold card right here. So usually I'm not playing those colors, but maybe because of this, it'll push me to play a lot more red. All This set is just like, hey, you should play red. You don't you normally like playing red, but look at all these cool red cards. I'm like... That's the thing, yeah. And, ooh. you know, it plays so well with reconfigure. <laughs> exactly. It's like, oh, all, like the majority of reconfigure cards are red, and then the majority of these modified cards are red. Yeah, uh, and the reason I thought of the historic thing is because when I, I remember distinctly when the spoilers came out for Dominaria. Dominaria, yeah, I remember thinking, like, eh, that's not a mechanic. Like, you're just grouping a bunch of stuff into one word and, and calling it that. And, and I guess that's still it's sort of true, but uh, that really showed me how powerful that can actually be, playing that, that set. It was just like, man, if this only said Planeswalkers or Legendary Creatures or something, it would be so lame. But the fact that it is Artifacts, uh, Legendary Creatures, and Planeswalkers uh, just made it so much more interesting. So now I'm, I'm always, whenever they do something like this, I'm like, there's probably a good reason for it. It probably just plays really well. And it, it really invokes the, you know, like... Um advancement of technology like the set is uh in both mechanical ways and magical ways uh which seems obviously it's something that they're working on and trying to to get those pieces to fit together with almost all the mechanics we have something where we're trying to, to pull those and, or push them together but i think they did a really good job with this um so i'm just happy to have a new tool in the belt to be like yes that's what that's called yeah and it's just super cool that anything that actually has this keyword or whatever, it's always a payoff. Right? Yeah. So it's just like incentivizing you to play cards you probably were already playing. Uh, and then you just have this payoff that makes you feel like, oh, should I just try to go as deep as I possibly can? You know. Uh, so one of the cards I liked for this, it's the one they showed all over the place as their example of this mechanic. But just the Aki Ember Keeper, uh, one in a red for the 2-1 Enchantment Creature Goblin Warrior. And it says, whenever a non-token modified creature you control dies, create a 1-1 one, one colorless spirit creature token. Awesome. Seems like pretty pretty cool payoff for that. I'm just imagining this with, like, <laughs> uh, first of all, obviously, it says non-token. Mm -hmm. But if it didn't, I'm just imagining this with, like, uh, a skull clamp. I wonder if that's literally the reason that non-token is written on this card <laughs> probably they do tend to nowadays try to make things that like oh well if it makes tokens from something dying we shouldn't right. let it trigger I, I don't know that, what but... they're gonna do with this but something stupid put non-token but just there. put non-token <laughs> um but I do love that this does incentivize you to like play to the board uh Make sure you all like have a lot of creatures, make all of them have counters or, or equipment or something. And then if something wipes them all out or, you know, you get uh, thrown to the, the Dark Ages or whatever, get banished, um, you have a bunch of spirits left over and you can uh, continue to play your, hey, put counters on this creature cards because that's usually what happens where you get stuck with a bunch of, it's like the classic equipment problem of, wow, I have not enough creatures and too much equipment. Well, reconfigure solves that problem. This card specifically helps with that problem. Um, I just, I, I'm so happy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a strong start with these two mechanics. I think I'm, uh, I'm pretty, I'm pretty happy with this. Um, but moving to another new mechanic that we have, um, it's more, it's more of a riff. You know, it's a riff from an old one, uh, and we've seen mm -hmm. a lot of these cards before. We were, we were talking 
uh, in other uh, like episodes or conversations just saying, hey, we had flip cards in original Kamigawa. We need to have some sort of flip card in Neon Dynasty. Right. And I think the ones that they decided to do are great. So basically we have... Yeah. It, there's a bunch of sagas. So we have sagas again, which is great. Um, um, perfect for this set because it's all about stories and the past and what how that reflects the, the present. But all mm-hmm. of them flip into creatures, which is awesome. <laughs> I'm, I'm super excited about it. So um, the example we have is Jugan Defends the Temple, which is Tuna Green, for an enchantment saga at Mythic, it says, uh, first chapter is create a 1-1 green uh, human monk creature token with tap, add a, a green to your mana pool. Uh, chapter two is put a plus one plus one counter on each of up to two target creatures. And then every saga in the set has the same third chapter, which was, I think, really smart that all of them do this and they're all exactly mm-hmm. the same. Uh, and it says, exile the saga, then return it to the battlefield transformed under your control. And when it comes back, it is now Remnant of the Rising Star, which is a 2-2 enchantment creature dragon spirit with flying. And it says, whenever another creature enters the battlefield under your control, you may pay uh, X, generic X. Uh, And when you do, you put X plus one plus one counters on that creature. And then, as long as you control five or more modified creatures, Remnant of the Rising Star gets plus five plus five and has trample. That's a lot of things to say. Um, and I think yeah. <laughs> I did read that this set has the most words of any set that has ever come out, um, which we've been waiting for. We've been waiting for this moment. Yeah, earlier I was talking about how it's hard to evaluate them because the landscape is, mm-hmm. you know, so unknown. It's also because they're all a million words long. It's so hard to evaluate cards with this that do this many things. Yeah. Um, but... It is helpful that the the sagas have the most words on them, but they all have the same chapter three, so you never have to read that. Um, just wait; one of them is going to be different, and people are going to be like, "Hey, yeah, you said to read that one story." Will just transform <laughs> yeah. instead of exiling and returning yeah. transformed. <laughs> um, but I love like, this. Why didn't you just give it haste on the back side? <laughs> <laughs> um, but I just love that. Uh, it, it all pulls together. It's making a creature, then modifying it, and then flipping. And it, it's really small at first and then gets huge if you have a bunch of creatures that are modified. And it also gives you the tools to modify those creatures. Um, really sweet card. And really, these sagas are really interesting. Like, there's a lot yeah. of cool stuff they're doing. They all seem to reference... I don't know if literally all of them do, but I everyone that I can think of references a character from last time we were at kamigawa Mm -hmm. so there's that kind of nice little bonus too um actually while we were talking about it it made me wonder i I bet the original design of these cards chapter three just said transform this uh and then r&d came in and was like the fact that all of these backsides have haste makes it too difficult to balance Uh, oh for sure so then they they came up with this like exile it and return it transformed uh kind of thing because like a ton of them have flying and (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It's just like it's way too hard to balance with an enchantment that's really difficult to interact with that just snaps into a haste creature. And then you can't give the any of the ones you want to give haste to. It doesn't matter. So it feels like yeah, you, yeah. Because you can tell there's there's quite a few that do have haste that are from colors that 
usually have creatures that have haste. So I think that's a good point. That is almost exactly what happened, I'm sure. Yeah, right? Because it's also just so many fewer words to say transform this. So you mm -hmm. have to have a real reason to put that third chapter on there. <laughs> that's very true. Uh, yeah, the only other saga that I really wanted to point out at this moment um, is the, the life of Toshiro Umezawa. Because mm -hmm. I just think the flavor on this card is phenomenal. I love it. Um, I don't know how good it is, but it's uh, a black saga that is uh, one in a black. And chapter one and chapter two are exactly the same. And it says, choose one. Target creature gets plus two, plus two until end of turn. Target creature gets minus one, minus one, minus one until end of turn. Or you gain one life. Or two life, sorry. So Reminds me of something. Yeah, it reminds me of uh, Jitte we might have seen in the past. Uh, so I just liked... I liked that. But. Yeah, I liked seeing that. Um, and then it kind of turns into a memory of Toshiro, which is a, a samurai that's a weird spell. Like, instants and sorceries matter in black. That is like a... It's a 2-3 that taps, and you have to pay a life to add a black, and you can only spend that mana on instants and sorceries. But it's, again, that weird Toshiro has this magic power to, that cares about incense and sorceries but he's also a samurai that they don't tend to care about those uh yeah exactly um i'm with you i have no idea how good this card is i assume mm. it's pretty good and limited at least yes um but yeah the flavor is just spot on with that one so just nice i'm i'm just like beaming we, we've just spent this whole time talking about uh kamigawa and getting so pumped for it that um, this feels yeah. almost less than like a pregame episode and more of a like just elated. Like maybe I just did drugs and I just feel awesome because I don't know <laughs> yeah. what it is. I just feel so happy right now. <laughs> maybe it's the neon haze. That's what's doing. It. It's just like, hey, this is going to be the best. I am so excited for this. I'm going to play totally. so much magic. I think it's a few things. Like I think them releasing this the whole story before the set even releases gets you hyped for it instead of like a chapter here and there for a month or two after the set releases because mm -hmm. um, now like preview cards would come out i'm like hey it's nashy i know who that is yeah the story um and that's really cool so that's a big change also i think this set is just very cool uh so it just seems really cool you know, every card that comes out you're like oh nice uh that's that's interesting at the very least and I don't know if this set is really powerful or medium powerful. I, I have a hard time imagining that it's weak, but uh, oh yeah, I can't see that either. In the but... grand scheme of things, it's just so hard to to tell because all the cards are very unique designs, and that was something that happened in original Kamigawa too. All the, there were a lot of unique designs, and you were like, I don't know if this is good or not, but it's it's interesting at least. So I think they did a really good job of being able to capture that the really interesting design um while also making the cards feel powerful and fun and like just really cool um i might be no i'm not eating my words i'm gonna love this set it's gonna be my favorite <laughs> <laughs> i think there's something to like for everyone too i was looking through it i'm like if you're an aggro player if you're a control player if you're a so somebody who likes I don't know, auras or something stupid like that. Like, there's <laughs> stuff for everyone. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's sweet. So, uh, Jeff, I'm still working on a beer. Uh, we are going to go to a beer break, but I think we might have to talk about some five-color cycles at the moment. At least get it get the ball rolling a little bit, you know? 
Yeah, I mean, we just talked about Jugan, so maybe uh, going right into the dragons makes sense here. So that kind of makes sense. No, Jugan, the rising star, was the green dragon last time. So Jugan defends the temple, turns into a remnant of the rising star. I also like how the backsides are never, uh, with maybe one exception, uh, the backsides aren't actually the creature that uh, they're talking about. They're always yeah. some spirit or manifestation of them. That was a good way to do it too. Yeah. Or it's literally like a fan or or some tapestry or like something. It's just like, or it's just like the feeling of them. I don't know. It's really cool. Um, But as we are pivoting over to some of the, the legendary dragons, um, I think we just should talk about the green one because I don't know how many people are actually talking about this one. Um, just because we're pivoting sure. from Jugan, you know, right? So, um, Jeff. Yeah, makes sense to me. Uh, do you want to read that dragon? Do you have it in front of you? I do. <clears throat> so this is Kura, the Boundless Sky. It's three green green for a 4-4 four, four, flying death touch legendary dragon spirit. When it dies, you choose one of the following. Search your library for up to three land cards, reveal them, put them into your hand, and shuffle. Or create an XX green spirit creature token where X is the number of lands you control. Cool? Cool. (laughs) Now, it's worth noting, because this is one of the things they've been bouncing around on. Stop speaking about consistency and, like, being confusing. Mm -hmm. The spirit you make doesn't grow if you play lands. As opposed to... So it's like, however many Mm -hmm. lands you have when this dies, that's the spirit you get. Whereas something like Renin 7 makes a token that will get bigger as you play lands. Uh, so that does, it makes it like not as powerful, but also like confusing, which is, um, right. which is fine. I guess like on Arena, it doesn't feel that weird because it does it for you and the arts will be different every time. So you know that that's, yeah. a, that's a Kura spirit and not um, the, the plant thing. But... Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm happy that all these dragons have two different die abilities uh, because it opens, like, before, where the dragons only did one thing when they died, it they felt a little bit more closed off where you're kind of doing that one thing. Uh, and now it feels like there's more possibilities for them to go in more decks because you could be choosing... You could either play a deck where you want one or the other, depending on the situation, or a deck where you always want one or always want the other. So... I do like that. Um, and, and this one feels like, you know, yeah, exactly. Like, this will always be, uh, you're interested in which one you choose based on the situation, it feels like. Mm-hmm. But I think with big, powerful creatures, I really like them putting death triggers on them. Because they've gotten into this issue of, oh, it's a strong creature, with an, but if you just kill it, it does nothing, so you can't play it. So they mm-hmm. give them ETBs, but then they're just way too good because it's like, even if I kill it, I already got screwed. Um, whereas this is like, all right, I have this big creature. I have some insurance policy if they're able to deal with it, but there are ways around that, like exiling effects and stuff like that. So it's not just, well, they resolved Kura, and because it's an ETB trigger, I'm way behind and I probably lose because now I have to kill a 4-4 and deal with whatever advantage they got. Uh, you now, as the opponent, have some sort of option. Well, what's worse for me, them creating this XX or just leaving them with a 4-4 flying death touch? I don't know. Yeah. So I really um, like them moving towards death triggers on these big baddies. I agree. Um, even though this one is, of course, calling back to the other dragons, which had death trigger triggers. But I think continuing that mm-hmm. is probably a good idea, especially because we have Vanishing Verse in Standard. Um just right. that if these become good, you know, playing white-black seems to go up pretty high. 
Um, yeah, white black's already pretty good, I think. Yeah, also because white black has their own dragons that are really good. <laughs> That's right. So, so you wanted to do the green one. What, where, where are you feeling next? So I want to talk about Junji, the Midnight Sky, which is three black black for a 5-5 five, five legendary creature dragon spirit with flying and menace. And when it dies, each opponent discards two cards and loses two life or put target non-dragon creature card from a graveyard onto the battlefield under your control and you lose two life. I, I love this one. And I know you do too. You've got to love this one. There's no way you <laughs> I was don't. like, you know that I, you know that I love this card. Yeah. Um, but I love, because like, uh, awesome. Yeah, it dies and you go steal a creature from a graveyard. That's great. But I really love the tie-in of the making your opponent discard cards. Because if you're doing this multiple times, you can get the big creatures out of their hand into the yard and uh, things like that. So um, also being, you know, putting the nice little you know, making your opponents discard, not yourself, um, right. as a way of not making it too busted, uh, though it would be probably better if it uh, let you discard cards. But anyway, uh, I think this one seems so fun, fun especially, stuff. yeah, exactly. Especially if there's some sort of um, uh, sack outlet so we could make sure that it doesn't get hit by a, a vanishing verse or something. That would right. make this card obviously go way up, um, which we have, I don't know if we have free sack outlets, but we have some, some good ones. And if you've ever played against uh, was like Graveyard Trespasser or whatever um, that has Ward discard a card, it's so annoying to have to discard a card to kill your opponent's creature. And this isn't quite the same because it's more vulnerable to certain types of removal, but it hits you harder for playing regular removal. Like mm -hmm. killing this is going to be a real pain uh, a lot of the time. And so you'll try to like get your whole hand empty and then kill this, and then they'll be like, okay, reanimate something. Now you have no hands to deal with it. So uh, really, really cool card. I don't know if it's going to crack into competitive play. It'll just be what kind of decks exist. Uh, but I like the design on it a lot. And I'm going to try to make this work, obviously. Oh, yeah. And then I'm going to take whatever that list is and then try to play it as well. <laughs> yeah. Because that's what I do. It'll be some sort of red-black, I can tell you right now. Interesting. <laughs> hmm. I might take out the red and add white, but sure. Uh... <laughs> you do you. <laughs> uh, sweet. So I think before I be ready... Vanishing versus my own Junji. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but I think, uh, before a brief break, we have time for one more dragon. So Jeff, which one do you want to talk about? All right. Well, I was going to save the best for last, but I feel like this is a good time to just talk about how this one just feels more pushed, um, than all the others. Uh, this is Atsushi, the blazing sky, uh, because it only costs four mana. It's two red, red for a four, four flying trample. And when it dies, you get to uh, impulse for two, so exile the top two, and you get to play those till the end of your next turn, or create three treasure tokens. Holy cow, if you ever played against Goldspan Dragon, you know how busted it is to have a dragon that dies into treasure tokens. Um, and this is also has the option to reckless impulse or whatever. Uh, this card seems awesome. It seems sweet. Um... I, like you were saying before, I like Atsushi. <laughs> it's a fun name. Um, yeah. Because <laughs> it does seem like you're out for dinner. I haven't be at, been at sushi in yeah. a very long time uh, because of, uh, well, yeah, all the things. But, um, yeah, this card seems sweet. And I, I think it could, it could be deceivingly good because we've seen so many four mana, four, four red dragons. 
that right that maybe it will it will sneak up on some people but uh but no maybe an alchemy like the tyrant or whatever is better so maybe it doesn't see much play i don't know like i don't know which one's better but i feel like in standard this will this will be there yeah i think this one is better than the other options you have in standard and it plays amazing with gold span because then you're like oh sick now i have six yep, mana because you nice killed my thing one two punch <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> Yeah, play some other big stuff. If you want it, you also have the option to basically draw two cards if you were already flush with mana thanks to your gold span. Yeah, you're like, ah, what's three more treasures? I need some uh, cards. <laughs> Jeez, seems good. Like it. Anyway, Jeff, with that, I need another beer. And so let's go on a beer break. Let's do it. This beer break is brought to you by our patrons over at Patreon. That's right. You're already supporting the show just by being a listener. But if you want to support the show even more, the Patreon is the best and, well, only way to do that. Yeah. And when you become a patron, you get an exclusive invite to our after party, which is a mini episode recorded immediately after this one where we ramble on about uh, whatever. I don't know. We, we will we'll figure it out. Plus, you get to vote on who your favorite host is by either buying me a beer or buying me a beer. So go to patreon.com slash arena regulars to vote on your favorite host right now. Ooh. All right. So I brought a beer that uh, we're going to be talking about this brewery a lot over the next couple weeks. So I will save more of the introductions for then. Um... But this is um, Okame from Godspeed, which is like a Japanese-influenced brewery we have over here in Toronto. Um, so that's part of the reason why we wanted to do it. Um, but also, I'm not super familiar with their beer, so this is going to be really exciting. Definitely. Yeah, exactly. And Okame is a green tea IPA, which I don't know if I've ever had one before. So this is just going to be exciting all around. I've had green tea ice cream, but I guess that's not quite the same thing. It's not quite the same thing. Um, it is 6%, and it does come in these little cans. Uh, it's like the, I guess, what beers used to be is the 355 milliliter cans. Um, but, you know, it, we had to get two for the episode, so... Um, of course. If yeah. you hear a couple cracks while we're talking, um, that's just us you know, having the full beer, you know, essentially. We're making sure the beer's full. Totally. Um, but yeah, so anyway, cheers. I'm excited for this green tea IPA. Me too. Mm. I know you said you'll talk, we'll talk a little more about Godspeed next week, but I just, just want to say that uh, the head brewer, the guy who opened Godspeed, used to work, uh, he was the head brewer at Giudicio, uh, which was my, is my favorite brewery. Oh, Full stop. So when he opened a brewery in Toronto, I was like, man, that's going to be amazing. And then I just haven't really checked it out. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, perfect. We're going to be checking it out over the next few weeks. Um, but also what we're going to be checking out over the next few weeks are all these sweet cards for Kamigawa Neon Dynasty. And we have some returning mechanics we need to get to. And of course, the most important one, Jeff, I've... I've I had to save this one for you because I knew that you would want to talk about it. Oh, yeah. We have ninjutsu. So, you know, some of us hypothesized that this would be a returning mechanic based on numerous clues, such as the spoiler of a card that had the mechanic on it. 
And yeah, no, it's just like the best mechanic from Kamigawa last time. And it's been brought back a few times in supplemental products. So here's its grand return to the main stage. So uh, as an example, an early front runner for one of my favorite cards in the set, uh, Silver Fur Master. So this is blue and a black for a 2-2 with ninjutsu blue and a black. So ninjutsu means you can return an unblocked attacker you control to hand to put this card onto the battlefield from your hand tapped and attacking. So you psych them out. You attack with something harmless, they don't block it, and then bam, this guy comes in instead. It also has the abilities, ninjutsu abilities you activate cost one less to activate. And other ninja and rogue creatures you control get plus one, plus one. It's a ninja rogue lord. Yes. So we still get to play the rogues in our ninja deck that we wanted to play? I legitimately think this card is pretty good just in rogues. Like I've been playing a rogues deck in standard for fun and, you know, just playing the one, one flyer and then hitting with this at a key moment to buff your whole team is just awesome. And like, cause then you just have double Lords in that deck almost. Um, I guess, yeah, you do right. because the other one is just for, uh, for rogues. Yeah, it qualifies. Um, yeah. Makes Merfolk win robber quite a bit better, you know? Having that, right. it's the card that you always want to uh, cut from the deck, but now, because we have Ninjutsu, for real, a little bit happier about it. And you already have the uh, the unblockable one, but that one has a good saboteur ability already, so it's like, I don't so know, it's, which one do, do I, I want? Yeah, that makes for a really interesting gameplay, I think. Um, this yeah. card seems sweet. I, uh, <laughs> As I'm going to say with literally everything. Um, I also do think they do a pretty good job of, like, so ninjutsu abil abilities cost one less generic to activate, but its actual ninjutsu doesn't have any generic, so they don't string together like a right. crazy thing. You can't just string, exactly. This isn't like a burning tree emissary deal where you just, mm -hmm. <laughs> you just flick in three of these for free. Um, so that is nice, uh, just as a, as a fairness scale, I guess, and it, but it uh, feels good. Because, you know, the other way they could have done it is also just making its ninjutsu more, knowing that you could have multiples and they could discount each other. But I think it's much better just being mm -hmm. like, you know what, we'll just make a good card, and then it helps you play some of the other more fringe ones. Because you're like, well, you know, it could get better and easier to play. So I am really excited for the reconfigure stuff and, you know, my normal um, shenanigans. But this is the deck that when it comes together, I'm going to play the shit out of this deck. Oh, for sure. I, I hope Ninjas is good. At least tier two. I please. hope it's like rogues, but people don't hate it for irrationally just because it mills. You know, it's like take two of just a blue-black tempo creature-based, you know, aggro control deck. But people, but it doesn't mill people because they just really hated the mill aspect of rogues before. Yeah, that's such a weird, I don't know. Anyway, we'll, we've talked way too much about that deck, but... Get over it, guys. Milling is whatever. Um, so I am excited. So this time around, um, we get ninjas in more colors, which is fun. So we get one white one, and there's obviously a bunch of blue and black ones. But we have some green ninjas, which is pretty sweet. I didn't think... Yes. I didn't think we'd get some green ninjas. Uh, the one I wanted to highlight specifically is, uh, well... A famous artist, you might say. Uh, so it's a Capitec Wrecker, which is one and a green for a 1-3 Turtle Ninja. Hmm, Turtle Ninja. I wonder if is he it likes... A, is it a mutant? 
It's, and how old is it approximately? Uh, uh, it, it looks like he does like pizza, so you know, we might uh, we might be getting there. But uh, anyway, so it has ninjutsu one and a green, and when it enters the battlefield, it has a death touch counter on it. So not only is it a ninja, but it's a modified ninja, uh, modified mutant maybe. You know, we're close. Um, and whenever <laughs> it deals combat damage to a player, you can remove the death counter from it. De- sorry, the death touch counter from it. And when you do, you can exile target artifact or enchantment that player controls. Um, there is another card that has a similar thing where it enters with a certain um, uh, keyword counter. I think it's a menace counter. Yeah. Um, which I think is... Mm. No, well, the reason I want to talk about yeah. this card is because it's a Ninja Turtle. Um, like a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle. Uh, obviously, as we just... Oh, yeah, 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 that's yeah, yeah. what you were getting Yeah, at. sorry. Uh, you know. I forget <laughs> which one this is that has the swords. But this is Leonardo. Sword, but... The blue one. Okay. He's the leader. He's the most important one. For the... Shouldn't they have done the green one? Is there a green one? No, there's not a green. It's not a green one because the green mask would be the same color as their skin. So then right. they... that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. This is why I don't design children's shows. <laughs> Teenage, real quick. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Leonardo's the blue one. Donatello's the purple one. Michelangelo's the orange one. And Raphael is the red one. Get it. Get it in your brain. Uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, besides that, the... The death touch counter thing is really interesting because if you need to play this on turn two, you play it as just like a a one three death touch that no one wants to block because it has death touch and they don't want to trade with a one three. You can either blow up one of their things or ninjutsu in something else and then play it again and have this continued combat thing. Also, something that happens with ninjutsu is that you tend to, um, you'll like obviously have to return your creatures back to your hand. But this one's fun because it does have the sub game of I can attack with it, lose the death touch counter, and then on the next thing, get it in somehow, return it to my hand, play it again, and continue this loop of trying to like... I like that they give more ways of having a creature have an ability that you want to bring it back to your hand to restart it that's not an enters the battlefield effect. Definitely. And the, and the Menace one is the one I saw first, and I, I had the same thought. Like, that's really cool design. And it, it's the same with the Death Touch. The other cool thing about it is it's interesting both ways. Mm-hmm. So, like you're saying, you use this, they don't want to block it, you ninjutsu it back to your hand, and then you can play it again later. Um, but also, if you ninjutsu this in, if you want to use the saboteur ability, you have to remove its ability, its evasion, essentially. Mm-hmm. Like you have to take away menace or death touch, which means it'll be harder to ninjutsu it back. So you mm-hmm. have to like make the choice. Do I want to use this saboteur ability? Saboteur, by the way, means any of this, when it deals combat damage to a player, it does something. It's like, what's better having a one, three death touch that I can use to ninjutsu stuff in later or get my value now of destroying the artifact or enchantment, but be left with kind of a dorky 1-3. Yeah. So I think it's really interesting that they chose in particular things that make it harder to block as their their, ability counters. Mm -hmm. And um, ability counters aren't a thing that we see a ton of in the set, but having very specific key points where where it fits in... Um, and this one seems nice because it overlaps with the modified um, mechanic. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I'm just <laughs> more 
Bravo. This is a this is so yeah, good. It's just a great design. It's such a good It really does kind of feel like the A team of designers was working on this set cuz all the designs are at least interesting. Yeah, they're so interesting. Um which is kind of bringing us to our pseudo last mechanic. There are some other ones we'll talk about a little bit, but um, this is really the last returning mechanic we have, um, which is channel. And we had talked about this mechanic, uh, looking back being like, oh, they could actually bring channel back because that was kind of cool. Um, and it was kind of voted our only other mechanic besides ninjutsu from the entire block that could come back. And it did, look at us. That had any shot. Yeah, <laughs> we were right. Sort of. I, I still think I said it probably won't come back. But. Oh, I mean, like, we probably both said it probably won't come back. But if something did, it would be this one. Uh, so, hey, we're mm -hmm. kind of right. Um, I have a couple cards up uh, that I want to talk about. There, there's a lot of talk about some other things right now. and uh, But, you know, hey, let's do some fun ones. Um, the gold uncommon signpost for this mechanic in draft is going to be a colossal. Your favorite color pair. Yeah, fuck man um i might actually play it now because it has this mechanic i like it but uh, colossal sky turtle is four green green blue for a six five enchantment creature turtle it has flying and ward two however it has channel so as we know channel is an activated ability where you can discard the card from your hand by paying a mana cost and then it has an ability so this creature is the only one that has two channel uh, activations. The first one is uh, two and a green, discard it, return target card from your graveyard to your hand, or channel one and a blue, discard it, return target creature to its owner's hand. So key points of channel, which we have talked about before, but gonna bring it up again. So uh, channeling a card is an activated ability and it is not casting a spell. So you cannot counter things that do this. Uh, big Unless you're, unless it says counter an activated ability. Yes, which I actually didn't look for this set, but I, I don't believe we have that. We have some counter spells uh, in this set, but I don't think we have anything that will uh, actually do. I didn't notice any. Yeah, this card specifically uh, seems more interesting to me because for the most part, I feel kind of like a Timmy-ish player, except for. Creatures that cost a billion mana, I don't give a shit about. They really, there's like, oh, it's going to take forever. They're not really that good most of the time, and I don't care. But this one. I mean, Wizards has kind of beaten that out of us by making it so bad to cast. Exactly. Like, why would I spend 10 mana to play this thing that's just going to die? And like, really doesn't do that much? Um, Doomblade, my turn? Yeah. <laughs> wow, I just lost eight mana in that transaction. Yeah. So, like, sure, this one has Ward 2, uh, great, whatever. But the fact that it's primarily a card that is doing utility in your deck, it's like an unsummon or a regrowth or something, and then every once in a while you actually play it as a creature, um, seems a lot more interesting to me. Definitely. And they made some of the channel abilities, like, there are some that just go get lands, and it's basically... Oh, land cycling. Um, or they made some that just like feel a bit uh, like other mechanics. So they kind of weren't afraid to do that, mm -hmm. uh, which I think is nice. Um, the reason I thought the channel might not come back is because it feels like similar to a split card, like a creature yeah. instant split card. Um, as you said, key difference is you can't counter this. But also this card shows another 
you know, thing that you can't do with a split card, like unless you had a, a triangular, like a, like a little prism and you mm -hmm. rotate it. But um, like this has three modes. That's not. It's a charm. There you go. Right. Yeah. <laughs> this is essentially a charm where one of the options is a creature. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, oh, and you, and I guess like charms usually just have a set mana cost and three options, whereas this is three separate mana costs. But. I'd like, I would like to see more charms that are also a creature <laughs> in the future. Uh, I really like it. Um, these all seem pretty interesting, and I like that not all of them are like some of them are similar to the old ones where it's like, um, hey, we are giving. Um, uh, we're combat tricks, uh, but they're not always the same as the creatures' power and toughness, um, which was nice. It's not like, hey, you have to have the same power and toughness because you're discarding this card. It's like, no, we can, we're going to do whatever we want, uh, which is great. I, I think that's awesome. Good job. Yeah. and Good design space. You're using it the way I wanted. Again, so happy. I don't, there's nothing I'm upset about with this set so far, so... <laughs> yeah <laughs> better watch out um so the i had one more example um that jeff you can read it if you'd like i don't know if you know why i like it you you probably do okay so up next we have mirror shell crab five blue blue for an artifact creature crab it's a five seven it has ward three and then it has channel two and a blue to counter target spell or ability unless its controller pays three. What do you like about this? I like it. I like it's at common. And this is the common, one of the common like counter spells. There's a few counter spells in this set. Um, the other ones cost, there's spell pierce. And then we have essence scatter. Um, and then not essence scatter. Sorry. It's, um, it's capture, essence, whatever. Uh, capture yeah essence capture the, the, the mono blue scourge from back in the day yes uh, and then there's another one that's also blue blue um but i like that this is a this is like the three mana counter spell that we're used to seeing it's just on this creature mm -hmm. and you won't ever get in a counter war with it because no one can counter oh it does say spell or ability shoot i just ruined everything i didn't read this card <laughs> <laughs> This can counter itself. <laughs> this can but counter like, itself. <laughs> but like but, counter spell can't counter this. It's true. However, this can counter other channel abilities. There we go. Came full yes. circle. There, yeah, that's why we put it on here. That's why. <laughs> <clears throat> that's why I put it on here because it can counter uh, Boseju. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There you so go. Another reminder to uh, read cards at sorcery speed. Just here. read cards at sorcery yeah. speed. Hey. Um, yeah. So this is the one. When we are talking about how there's nothing that counters activated abilities, this counters abilities. Um, yeah. There you go. Any ability. This card's great. This is gonna be sweet. I'm. I I'm excited to play this as mirror shell crap because <laughs> I feel like the default here is you're just playing the counter spell, the like mm -hmm. uncounterable counter any ability or like mana leak any ability or spell. But there are going to be games you win on the back of Mirror Shell Crab, just dorky five, seven mana, five, seven. Those are the, going to be the best games. This is going to be the one where y your opponent thinks they can attack for lethal and you counter their reconfigure ability and they just didn't realize that Mirror Shell Crab could do that. And you're like, yeah. 
guess you lose. You know, that's what I'm excited for. (laughs) I mean, I will probably be the one getting that happens to me, but (laughs) I will be prepared for it. I like how they still attack with everything, even though it's not. (laughs) Counter your reconfigure. It's like, damn it. Well, Well, still have to attack. Put you you to one. (laughs) Put you to one. (laughs) Go, I lose. (laughs) Um, So... Those are the main mechanics, but I did want to bring up, Jeff, we do have a nice, uh, there's like, a, we were talking before about like um, in equipments and like auras are really big, but we do have a, a large vehicle uh, mechanic as well as mm-hmm. like artifact enchantment e stuff um, with enchantment creatures are all over the place uh, that are in this set, but um, but yeah. Oh, that, that, that is one thing I wanted to mention. So, you know, if, if you don't know, this, this set is kind of about, like, new versus old, like, modern technology versus ancient history. Mm-hmm. And they did that with modern technology being represented in artifacts and uh, ancient history being represented by enchantments. So it's like the, you know, the yin and the yang there. And uh, that's why there's so many artifacts and enchantments. And channel actually only appears on artifacts, enchantments, and lands. So it will not appear on anything that is just a creature that doesn't have one of those subtypes, just as another way to like represent that, that power, I guess, which I think was really cool the way they did it. Yeah. Like everything we, we talked about kind of fits in. That's why modified fits into enchantments and artifacts. It's, uh, you know, it's all looking at this kind of artifact versus enchantment theme going on. And I think it really shows up in the cards. You know, like I've read about it. I was like, okay, cool. Uh, how's that actually going to look on paper? And then looking at the set, you're like, oh yeah, yeah, I get this. Yeah, I am. I'm just, this is going to be sweet. <laughs> uh, everyone is talking about like the, the legendary land cycle, um, which is uh, just, you know, going to be awesome in constructed, I think. Um I personally don't yeah. know how influential some of the cards will be, which some people think are the, the, the fucking best shit ever. Yeah, I mean, um, it always happens. Right? Classic. <laughs> so if you want to hear what we think about what people's takes on best shit ever is, we're going to kind of trash on that next week um, <laughs> in our first episode. But uh, it's a really cool looking set. Yeah, it looks really And, you know, cool. it's so cool that I think maybe we should stop the cliffhanger here. And tell everyone about the last two dragons. And that's probably good. You know, that makes sense. Because <laughs> uh, we have been pulling that out for, for quite a while. Yeah. So if you're an Azorius fan, you've been sitting here like, God damn it. What are the blue and the white dragons? Now you'll find out. Uh, <laughs> Not like We, we had to cater to our, to our Jund bros. <laughs> yeah, uh, for sure. For sure. <laughs> uh, so why don't I start with uh, Ow. This is Ow, the Dawn Sky. It's three white-white for a 5-4 Flying Vigilance, and the two options when it dies are look at the top seven cards of your library, put any number of non-land permanents with total mana value four or less from among them onto the battlefield, and the rest on the bottom in a random order. Or you put two plus one plus one counters on each permanent you control that's a creature or vehicle. So we had to wait for Zach to explain the vehicle sub-theme to read this one. This Uh, one's... Yeah, this one seems whatever. I think it seems sweet. (laughs) <laughs> it's sweet for sure i will probably not cast this card unless i'm lucky enough to open it and limit it so i will not cast this card <laughs> <laughs> uh 
Um, I'll definitely try something with this because I already have a copy of it, so, you know. Um, but uh, <laughs> I, um, I, I like that... So you're, are you going to try literally every card in the set then? <laughs> yeah, yes. If that's, if that's the bar. <laughs> well, I have a copy. So well, I, I have a copy. I might as well try it. Um, <laughs> my deck is just like one of every card from the set. <laughs> Rainbow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh singleton <laughs> block singleton um anyway no this card i'm just imagining some weird scenario it, it, it continues to to go back to this weird commander deck i built which was uh gideon rides uh vehicles basically <laughs> and so remember this. Uh, this card goes into that deck because <laughs> You just play it and everything gets wiped and then all your vehicles get stronger. Dude, I lost to that deck in standard all the time. Just Heart of Kieran, Gideon Ally of Zendikar, whooping my ass. Yeah, mine was just, you know, <laughs> the the bullshit cheap vehicles that I had from Draft Chaff, you know? Like, it wasn't good. Um, but uh, anyway, so... I, I don't think this card fits into uh, Mono White because it costs five mana. And... Um, it seems sweet, but you're right. I think that it, it probably won't do too much. Um, unless you're doing some sort of weird thing in, in black-white. I think that you might be able to, to play it then. But I like the idea that they have, where they've done this a few times. Like It's just really powerful to look at the top seven mm -hmm. and put you know four mana of stuff onto the battlefield. But this is like a five drop, and it's asking you to have really cheap stuff. Right? Mm -hmm. And I like that... Um, that tension that they're building into a lot of these designs recently where it's like, this is the, this is clearly designed to be the top end of a low to the ground deck. deck. Yeah. With a lot of like permanence, obviously. Mm -hmm. So generally creatures. It is nice because it says, Hey, if they wrath the board, you get, you know, two or one thing off the top seven. Right. Or if I mean, they, you, if they spot removal, right, one it, four drop or two, two drops. Yeah, but if they spot removal, it, it pumps your whole team. So um, it's kind of saying, and hey. Obviously, four is the right number. Otherwise, you could chain into another one of these. And like, of course. Yeah. Um, so that is kind of an interesting thing saying, hey, which for your opponent, hey, I'm going to play this dragon. Which removal spell do you need to use on this at this point? What will be best for them? Uh, so I think it's pretty interesting that they get to, to choose that. But as a player, it doesn't make me as excited um, because it feels a little bit up in the air. I don't have the agency, but I think playing against it would be really interesting. So I feel like the, what's just going to end up happening is the old like end step, kill your owl mm -hmm. and then untap and wrath because once either of these options has happened, wrath wipes all of that advantage. That's away. true. I, either way. Um, but if it's on the battlefield, it, it is near impossible to try to wrath because you don't really, like you said, you don't really get anywhere. Because mm -hmm. with seven, they're going to hit the full four mana worth of stuff mm -hmm. nearly every time. And whatever, yeah, combination that they need. So, um, you know, maybe it's just to go get the Wandering Emperor and then, uh, is it only creatures? There you go. Do I, does it nope. just say permanence? Yeah. Permanence. So you can say, you can get the Wandering Emperor and then wrathing wouldn't 
uh, stop you from having a sweet emperor. I also like the addition of non-land. Otherwise, it's like I throw four lands into play and two creatures. Oh, white (laughs) would be fine with that. But, you know, I don't know how excited. (laughs) At that point, if they can play their their five mana card, they're like, do I really need more lands? Yeah, I don't know how much better that actually makes the card. But (laughs) it's just like the the designer being like, no, no, don't do that. Yeah, don't do that. Don't do that. Um, All right, let's talk about the last dragon. So... This is Kyrie, the Swirling Sky. It's four blue-blue for a 6-6 legendary creature, Dragon Spirit, with flying and ward three. And when it dies, you can return any number of target non-land permanents with total mana value of six or less to their owner's hand. Or you can mill the top six cards of your library, then return up to two instants and or sorcery cards from your graveyard to your hand. So obviously this is like, uh, this kind of spells matters. Uh, it, it looks like a card that you'd want to play around in some sort of like uh, blue-black control deck or like blue-red spells deck um, where you have the, right. the, the kind of situation of, all right, when it dies, do I need more fuel or do I need to just like reset the game? Um, but it's also, I like that it's like the biggest one. You know, it's fun to see that the blue dragons are huge. We've seen that for a couple sets where it's like, yeah. this one's... Yeah, yeah, it's like Imerith or whatever. Yeah, this one's beefy. And the green one, because This reminds me of Imerith a little bit. It actually. does. It's like, a, it's like a big flyer with ward that uh, generates card advantage. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, this one is clearly some sort of control finisher, like you were saying. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a deck that's mostly spells. It just feels like we have better control finishers available right now like am i gonna play this instead of Holebreaker horror mm. i don't know no maybe in al- alchemy when Holebreaker horror gets another nerf but yeah for now i feel like it's just hard to why would i want this as opposed to some options maybe it's like one of this and two Holebreaker horrors to diversify threats or something like that but mm-hmm. um, yeah it just feels like uh there are other options but it's definitely super powerful so i could easily be wrong and this is just better than i was thinking yeah i don't know i just like i if i were building the control deck in standard at least i think i'd take the uncounterable finisher over the tap out for like the uncounterable flash finisher seems better than the tap out uh, yes just get bounced no no just get hit by like fading hope kind of thing <laughs> one man of fading hope <laughs> Yeah, I guess no, because it would cost four. So, um, but that's true. But uh, but yeah, we'll see. I mean, like it would be an interesting place where um, I, what I would like, what would what I think Holebreaker would be best as if it was the sideboard card you brought in against the control mirror, as opposed to just being your main one. Because it, but it's so good that like you just want to use yeah. it all the time. But yeah, so kind of rounding things out. This, I'm, I'm pretty psyched for the set. I'm gonna draft a shit ton of it this weekend, um, and yeah. hopefully I'll have every single card by the end of this. I don't think I've ever. I don't always feel like that, but with this set, I'm just like I want it all. I want it all. Um, yeah, totally. Give it to me. So, <laughs> like people who've been listening a while know that we pretty much always get excited during the pre games. But this is the most excited I think I've been for a long time, just from the actual cards. Uh, yes. Like looking at the set and being like, wow, 
you know, I was excited because it's Kanagawa, whatever, whatever. But I'm actually really excited by the mechanics. All look super solid. The cards look like they're really fun and interesting designs. Um, it just looks like it's going to be a blast in both limited and probably constructed as well. And so this is like some one of the most excited pre-games I've had yeah, in a while. Yeah, all the other ones, I've just been faking it. This one's for real. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was like, oh, yeah, sure. Oh, yes, yeah, so it looks cool. <laughs> no, no, I just like, obviously, do magic sets are, are cool exactly. and exciting. But uh, this one feels a little, like, a little extra. Mm -hmm. little extra oomph. A little extra oomph. Um, and it's been a long time coming. So uh, at this moment, they have not um, lost me. You know, like... Kamigawa's really big feat and they needed to make sure they did it right. And I think I speak for almost everyone in the community that's like, this is this is it. This is the this is what I the I was weird like worried about it when you said the future stuff and I was like, I don't know, but I trust you. And I know, right? Holy yeah. shit, is this so cool. So it's hard cool. to find anything that's like I can point to and be like, I don't know about this, because everything's just that sounds amazing. It all looks really good. Um, and if they could forever and ever, please, please, please do the preview season or, or everything like they did with this last one that it has been yeah. the best experience a year from today uh, ago, a year ago when we did call time, I was so exhausted because we had the preview start a month before the set pre-released that, uh, it was like, man, I, I don't care. Uh, this has been perfect. Mm, I love it. I'm, I'm so happy. All right, Jeff, should we go to last call? Yeah, I think that's a perfect place to, to go to last call here. All right, Zach, are you ready for the grand reveal? The supreme yes. champion of these two particular beers that we happen to bring? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'm ready. Okay, on the count of three. From three. Yeah, here yeah. we go. One, two, three. three. Akame. Akame. There we go. <laughs> yeah. Perfect. I knew it. I knew okay. we were going to pick that. It's, it's good. I mean, okay, so I, we feel like we figured this out, and then we never stick to it. But uh, do we start with the winner or the loser? We pick the winner if we both pick the winner. Right? Right. We if start there with... a winner. Yes. If, we, we, if, we, we, if there's a winner, we start with it. So we're going to start uh, rating our beers uh, for this evening. But as always, we need to go through our rating system. So, mm -hmm. hey, we rate beers on the tiers in Arena. Really exciting. Uh, so it goes from bronze to mythic. And just as a disclaimer, this has nothing to do with what tier you are in at this moment and what tier you are aspiring to get into. It's just a fun way to rate beers. Everyone is in any tier at every time. So don't worry about it. This is just fun. So with that... Bronze beers are trash. We have never rated any beer out of bronze. It is Those are the beers that we can't even bring to the podcast because we hate them that much. Yeah, plus then it wouldn't be like an honest bronze. I'm still waiting for the time when we buy a new beer and it, it, we just get our first honest-to-God bronze. Uh, up next is silver. These are, you should think of macro brews. Uh, they're basically, you know, they're fine, but they have nothing, nothing special, you know, it's, uh, nothing interesting going on. Yeah, they're good for a silver series and, you know, camping. That's there about it. Gold beers are fine. Uh, I won't really think about drinking them again, but uh, it was a good beer, you know. I can kind of add it to the list, but, you know, 
don't need to have it. Yeah, platinum is the next step up. It's solid, and you you would drink it again, but you're not going to go out of your way to hunt it down. Uh, Diamond is exceptional. These are beers that you will recommend to your friends. Uh, You'll bring them to parties. You really like them, and you talk about them often. And then Mythic, these are the absolute best. Uh, You'd go out of your way to get these. You'd recommend these to just about anyone who would listen. They're so inspiring, and they might even convince you to start a beer podcast, you know? Oh, look at that. Very high praises. Um, So with that, let's start with Okame from Godspeed, which was the green tea Mm -hmm. IPA. I don't know what I was expecting when I got a green tea IPA, but uh, I like what they delivered. Mm -hmm. It just tastes Mm -hmm. like a good IPA, but I do get a little bit of that kind of tea aspect to it. Uh, And just as a side note, I've, I've thought about it for a while that like, so a big part of the brewing process is a bittering agent. It's usually hops. Hops are bitter. Um, mm-hmm. But you'll see often like chocolate and coffee and some of the darker like porters and stouts. And I remember a while ago, I was like, why don't more people just use tea? It's like it's already flavors people love. Mm-hmm. And it's bit naturally bitter. It gives you that same thing. So presumably this is what they did here. They used green tea as their bittering agent for their ipa and i think it just works really well yeah uh it does still feel like there is um they mixed it they used green tea as well as a hop that they wanted to to yeah i should say that it's almost always hops and something else it's always like hops and chocolate or hops and coffee or whatever but you're right they you definitely taste it immediately like the first sip was like i can taste some sort of tea um, and, and even the color of the beer reminds me of green tea. Like it, it has does actually a yeah. little bit of that hue, um, which I really liked. And then as you drink more of it, it turns more into this beer that you are used to tasting. Um, but, um, the notes are very subtle, but clear. And I think that that is really important, uh, and feels very, uh, crafted, like I would expect a Japanese crafted beer to taste like. So Yeah, and there's this ineffable quality that we bring up sometimes. It's just like you can tell when something is a well-made beer. Like mm-hmm. Even in beers that aren't necessarily your style or you don't love the flavors they used, you could just tell when it's a, it's a well-made beer. And this has that in spades. It's just like you look at it, you smell it, and you taste it, and you're like, this was, this was made by a professional, you mm-hmm. know, like someone who knows what they're doing. Yeah. Um, and that was one of the first things that struck me along with, uh, you know, you said you tasted it right away. I even smelled it right away. I was like, mm-hmm. this is like tea. It smells yeah. like freshly brewed tea. With that and kind of our praises, obviously I'm going to go straight to diamond with this. Um, yeah, I really like it. And it drinking this beer makes me very excited for the other beers we're going to be diving into over the next couple of weeks. So look forward to that. But God speed, God bless us all. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I mean, totally. This was the one of the easiest diamonds for me ever. Um, so I'm glad that we had two of the small ones, so we just got more diamond beer. It's delicious. That's right. Um, but let's turn our focus over to Amsterdam's Neon Haze, um, which is more of our flashy, uh, you know, set-focused beer. Um, yeah, just looking at the cans side by side, it's just such a different They're style. so They're <laughs> so <laughs> different. Um, it's basically like, it, uh, go to our Instagram page if you want to see more what it looks like. But 
um, as I describe it to you, it's like looking at the soft glow treatment of like Gingatexas next to one of the beautiful basic lands that are going to be in the set. Oh, um, I love those basic lands. Oh my God. Those dude. are going to knock out the old frame. Like those are oh. the most, those have the best chance of knocking out my old frame basics. They really are. Like I, I even got the unhinged or whatever lands for, for playing. Um, I still use the old school ones, but these new ones looking good. Um, but the beer, Neon Haze. So I, I guess I'll start talking about it. Um, yes, we had, uh, this was off camera, but we opened it. It smelled like I thought it was going to smell. It looked like I thought it was going to look, and it tasted like I thought it was going to taste. This is a very run-of-the-mill hazy IPA. Um, tasty, but fine, and has no uh, no real um, qualities that make it stand up from anything else i think yeah i mean i completely agree it's just it is what it is it's a hazy ipa just honestly as a listener you probably know how this tastes mm -hmm. when we tell you it's a hazy ipa just think of that and you would have your generic hazy ipa idea of what that is and this that's what this beer is yeah which of course there's nothing wrong with this um it is no. what it is yeah. and it's it's saying that but um the the can makes it feel like it's uh like flashy it's not flashy it's very um you know there it's there for you but right that means it's a gold beer and i and mean that's, yeah it's like yeah. i was thinking like do i push this up to platinum and i was like you know what though i it's always that will you drink it again or not and i probably just won't get this one again yeah uh, like i won't avoid it if it's there but i'm probably not buying it again yeah so. there are probably other amsterdam good. beers i'd buy before this you know if i go there oh, for sure um, like they make some good really good beers you know yeah so. so um and i like their stuff and you know their space is nice but hey uh this one doesn't blow me away and it is is very strong contrast between uh our other ipa so um so yeah uh some diamonds some golds that's what we got for this evening um, but with that, we are going to closing time. Closing time. Yeah. So as always, if you want to talk to us about the beers that we were drinking or any thoughts you have about the mechanics or cards, uh, you know, Hey, just give us a shout out over at, uh, arena regulars on Twitter and Instagram. We like talking with you folks. And, uh, so, Hey, keep the conversation up. Yeah. And you might also find us on MTG arena under the username arena regulars podcast, uh, if we are ninjutsuing you, we apologize in advance. Um, do we? I don't think we do. No, uh, no. <laughs> you should have seen this coming. That's how you um, know it's the real us. Yeah, this is your if, fault. If we're not playing a ninjutsu deck, you might send us a message because we might have gotten hacked. Something went wrong. Um, if you want to talk to me personally, you can find me at Zulberg. That is Z-E-U-L-B-E-R-G at uh, Twitter and Instagram. But Jeff, where can they find you? They can find me at Blues Brews MTG on Twitter, B-L-U-E-S-B-R-E-W-S-M-T-G. Please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts on Spotify. They have a new rating system, so give us five stars. We'd really love that. Um, go to our YouTube channel, watch our draft videos. We're going to have some new ones coming up, and leave us a comment and subscribe. Uh, just, hey, go out there, go to the places, say, hey, arena regulars are sweet. And, uh, you know, we'll say, hey, uh, our listeners are amazing. So, hey, there's something in it for you, too. And none of us would be lying. This has been the Arena Regulars. Letting you know that every year that you live, 
Someone on the plane of Kamigawa lives 66 years and eight months. Good night. All right, that's fine.